0: the jobs or making my own path that way or how to do that, I think you really have to stay curious and be seeking. You have to be seeking.
1: Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, coach, author of the book, Great Work, and the creator of the Great Work Journals. Every week on this podcast, we're here asking the big questions. What is your great work? How do you find it? And why does it matter whether we do it? What does it actually take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? Stay tuned for answers to these questions and so much more. Welcome, everybody, to Unleashing Your Great Work. Today, I'm super excited to have developmental editor and writing coach, Christina Pater. She has worked with more than 600 writers across 34 countries. She helps clients break through counterproductive patterns in writing and in life using methods from her masterclass and book, The Hollywood Approach. Christina travels by motorcycle, jumps into waterfalls, and is a guest chocolate chef. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank
0: you. I'm so glad to be here, Amanda.
1: I am glad and excited to have you. So we are going to start where we always do. Tell me a little bit about your great work.
0: I consider my great work being a story doctor. Mm. What I mean by that is I bring the science, the character DNA, and the Hollywood judge To make books, talks, screenplays, and all the stories, particularly long-form narratives, better. So said more elegantly or maybe a more traditional language in the publishing world, that means I'm a developmental editor with entertainment, character-driven slant. Um, Like I'm like a Marie Kondo of story. So I, I have an eye for structure and I have an obsession with character.
1: Nice. An obsession with, I love, first of all, everything you said was brilliant. The Marie Kondo of, of, what did you say, character? The Marie Kondo of of story. Of stories. That's right. With an obsession about characters. So, but you're not only a developmental editor, you're also a writer yourself, are you not? I am.
0: That's a true story. I am a two-time author and I'm a screenwriter and probably some other stuff that I can't think of right now, But but yes, I have traditionally... Been a writer my whole really my whole life, like since since single digits. Mm.
1: Wow. What is it about writing and helping other people write that so fascinates you?
0: I think I would say it started early. The fashion fascination started early. I'm in a really crazy, hilarious family mm. with an amazing mother, five crazy aunts, and I had just an unbelievable, like, Oprah slash, you know, um, hilarious comedian grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> so every single holiday, every single anything we did together was a mini event. And, like, in our family, you fought for rights for the refrigerator, meaning, like, if, you're, if something you did got put in the local, and I'm talking teeny, tiny, small town paper, or, like, you fought for rights for your story to be repeated. So for somebody to, you know, for like Aunt Mary to say like, oh, Chris, you have to tell Jan the story, you know, the story about the whatever that happened or, you know, it would be like, oh, grandma, like do the impression of the person from church again <laughs> or something like that. So that was kind of our and and everything in our family was viewed through this lens of humor. Like if it was a problem, we would make fun of it to death almost like within our family, you know, within the the to of our family and so we would just always feel better about things and so I think it started from that truly honest place of wanting to belong to that you know culture within the family
1: mm-hmm. and then you uh tell us tell us a little bit about like tell us a little of your history so you you grew up in this amazing silly family and then you went off to film school Or did you like, yes,
0: if we edit it that way, that is totally what (laughs) (laughs) happened.
1: Well, edit it any way you like.
0: If, um, yeah, if we do like a little more longer drawn out, uh, variation, I went, I did my undergrad first in journalism and Mm. international relations, international PR communications, intercultural communications. Then I worked in. Uh, I worked in television news. I worked for NBC. Was my first professional job. Hmm. Um, I had a talk show when I was 20 years old. Like, if you can imagine my hair, if I showed you pictures, my hair would just be <laughs> off the screen, and people <laughs> of that. Um, and so I, I was into news, but the format for me, like, oddly enough, and funnily enough, now looking back, I'm like, I can't put all these stories into 30 seconds or um, like a short, you know, 250 word something or whatever I'm telling people's life stories like I just I didn't love it and I also Mm. didn't really love I didn't love being on TV and then in being behind the scenes in news everything was always cut to like 30 second segments 60 like if you're lucky you got a 90 second thing and I'm like oh my god that's like 500 words it's it's not deep enough for me I didn't realize at the time that you could have a job as a, you know, that somebody would pay you to write TV shows. Like I'm from small town, Wisconsin, um, where, you know, you bleed green and gold for the Green Bay Packers. And <laughs> right. that's kind of like whatever, like that was. And so it just never occurred to me. So I went the more traditional route in the beginning and worked uh, as a director of advertising and corporate marketing. I worked in luxury hotel real estate. So I had some really cool gigs, some really cool jobs. Um, and then the call, then I had a reverse stalker at age 27. A,
1: a reverse, reverse stalker. stalker?
0: That is correct. She That's... is. Uh, she was a recruiter that I worked with who had placed me in a job as a head of advertising for for a company at 25 years old, where I was in charge of a $2 million budget. Imagine oh gosh. And when I left that job, she stalked me into, t- she's like, you have to write movies. You know, I was telling her about the company in my traditionally colorful way, the way that I learned from my wonderful Belgian fam, Belgian side of the family. And <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? You have to write movies. And I'm like, what? I'm 27. I just finished this like six pronged undergrad degree like what (laughs) is the deal I like I need a job and but she just kept stalking me basically and then she's like well there's this I was in I was living in Scottsdale Arizona at the time and she's like there's this guy from UCLA who's teaching screenwriting and you really have to be in there so that was it I went in and it was um I was hooked the first night um this professor is still a good good close friend and mentor of mine uh, we talk about our, you know, wor- mutual work and stuff like that. And he was a black belt in Aikido and Jiu-Jitsu and just mm. like a super, he was an air force cop and just like a super badass dude yes. who really had a beautiful heart and was like, you know, tell the story you want to tell, like what, whatever that is. And it, it just, there was just such a pureness to it. And it was like, the opposite of the rigid religion that and religious bounds that i observed growing up so it was just very like i just loved it as a philosophy and as a way of life and as a framework to think about things and i was hooked so that was that was at 27 i was hooked and i continued on a corporate path for a while longer and then i went freelance I just left. I left. I moved to Chicago, had had a couple big jobs there and then left in 2008, went to L.A. and uh, was a story analyst for a production company for a while um, did some more work there. And since that since around that time, I've been writing books, writing more screenplays, working as a developmental editor working as a writing coach then it was like TEDx you know everybody wanted to do TEDx talk and figure mm-hmm. out that because that's such a popular thing now like with the evolution of social media so it's all those things and it just I'm endlessly fascinated with how to do that how to do it and how to do it better
1: hmm. so interesting so did you go to film school at Arizona State University or something like that I did. I
0: went, uh, I have a,
1: an MFA equivalent
0: at UCLA Mm. Mm. Okay. in screenwriting, like, you know, specifically in screenwriting, not the broader film, but screenwriting. So we were savages to structure. Um, and it just takes so much to do it. And you can, there are certain things you'd only learn about writing by doing Mm -hmm. as as well. Like (laughs) there's no teacher like doing it. So.
1: wow. That's so cool. And so you how, how did so do you feel like like what's the through line of all these things? Like I, I could guess at what it is, but like you know, screenwriting and developmental editing and TEDx talks and books and book doctoring and stories structuring or story, what do you call it story analyzing?
0: Panel, yeah analysis story structure architecture all of the things yeah what's the
1: yeah so how do all those things go together like what's the through line that you feel like you're bringing to all those things like the christina pater lens that runs through all of those things that makes it hang together for you
0: Ooh, i don't know that there's one thing mm. i think i would say there's two okay um, because there's one that I was great at out of the gate, mm. I think, like I was always inclined to characters. So even as a child, I could, um, like emulate the Saturday night live characters and get into somebody's voice and mm. make up additional commentary for that character. Mm. And then that was the thing that was came naturally for me. And then the other side of that was structure, which did not, which I had mm. to really fight for many years to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would be character DNA. I would say it's character DNA and then structure.
1: Mm-hmm. And character DNA is getting into their voice, understanding what they would say under different scenarios and things like that.
0: Right. I would define character DNA as I do in my book as uh, yeah. a character's strengths, their flossomeness, and their superpowers.
2: And great.
0: that is like the simplest way I can put it. So of course, you know, there's other, there's other, things we could call those things, but they all fall under those categories or mm-hmm. specifically for character. And mm-hmm. of course there's other elements of story, like the character's goal and their obstacles. And
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And as far as the structure side of things goes, can, cause I had to not go to film school. Can you tell me just, you said we're savages of structure. <laughs> I'm like, do tell. Oh, wow, What does um, that mean?
0: So that means that if you want, so if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell's work, yeah. as an as one example, the hero's journey, he mm-hmm. analyzed all these stories at one point and came up with twelve components that make up most stories. Mm-hmm. And so what structure means is i mean the question I'm always asking is do i have do I have these twelve elements and do, and and in the beginning, so when you're i think and this i think this happens to a lot of writers who participate in that work, in the beginning, you're like you're trying to make a spreadsheet out of it and you're trying to make sure every each 12 thing is each 12 element component um, is like parallel to each other in the same proportion. And that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it, which that is totally what I did. That is not the way to do it. That's the way to make yourself totally crazy, mm-hmm. but it's learning how to, it's learning, okay, what that is. And it's, and it's learning how to, for me, it was learning how to analyze a story like Erin Brockovich or Jason Bourne or Akila Anderson from Akila and the Bee or any any of the stories mm-hmm. out there, Promising Young Woman or uh, Lost City Lost City that just came out, and it's looking at okay, what are these elements, and does the story have this kind of arc to make it satisfying for the audience? Does it show a character addressing obstacles that make us want to? root for that character do we Mm. want to be on board are we on board with this story whether we care about uh an assassin who lost his memory or uh an underemployed mother of three or Mm. uh a young girl you know trying to win a spelling bee Mm -hmm. can we how do we create the narrative transport and that's the challenge i mean it's a science as much as it is an art and i I have goosebumps talking about that because it is, it is. Yeah. And so I think to me, that's very exciting.
1: Well, what's interesting about it, because the original, right, the, the, where I started was like, what's this, what's this through line? Like, what's the Christina paterness of this? And what it sounds like to me is like, you create an environment into which a character can express their full self. So if you don't give them a place to go and a reason to be there and conflicts and I don't know, like the peak and then the denouement, right? Like you don't, there's nowhere for your character to express their DNA. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the thing that you had to learn was the thing that would unleash the characters that came to you so naturally. Absolutely. Fascinating. So when you do book doctoring, are you mostly book doctoring fiction?
0: It has lately. In recent years, it's been more nonfiction, Hmm. actually, for professionally. It mm-hmm. has been more nonfiction. I think um, because I have such a, a a history and such experience in business, I do have a lot of nonfiction business clients or people writing transformative books who are like, great, I still need a structure. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not Hero's Journey, like, so when I say I'm a savage, like, me, I've had, literally had a client call me a savage to structure. That's where that, that's where that comes to <laughs> it's almost like if you think about creating a piece of music writing is a temporal art so temporal arts are music dance writing and mm-hmm. so if you're creating in my mind in my lens if you're creating a book or or a screenplay it's got to have a rhythm mm-hmm. and so I help people create that rhythm using some tools that I've created called like one of them is called Ultimate Structure. I also have a thing called Editorial Grid. And it's kind of like when a mechanic puts your car up on the rack and you can do it. Like, you know, so any author can do it themselves or they can work with me to do it. But Mm -hmm. it helps whoever it is, whatever stage they're at, who's ever doing it. It helps us get the data to see, the information to see, okay, great. Chapters three and four are four times the length of chapters Mm -hmm. seven and eight. Well, that's a big, like, Let's pay attention. I don't want to call it a red flag, but it's a big highlight to say, "Let's pay attention. To what's go- going on in these chapters?" Or, "Oh, hey, this is interesting." Like this, I once had an author who was doing these very sarcastic and hilarious <laughs> music references, music mm. jokes about musicians, or just like making comparisons in his business book, and it's like and he's such a great natural comedian. So I'm like, well, great. Let's just do an analysis. Mm. I'm like, I want to do an analysis to see how often these are coming in and see if I should advise you to add more in more mm-hmm. chapters, one or two in every chapter. Like, where do we feel the, you know, the je ne sais quoi, where do we feel the magic is in that component? I mean, that's just like one tiny example, but Mm-hmm. it's um so again it's balancing like the science and the math which nobody wants to hear me say math like it's a dirty word but it actually Oh, i love hearing
1: the- you say math say oh thank
0: you <laughs> <Math. That's> <laughs> <math>. <laughs> it's freeing it's freeing if you know how to use it and yeah. you know that it can be so liberating
1: yeah so that feels very structural how do you feel like the character, sort of the unleashing the character, finding the voice, releasing the voice, all of that works in a business book?
0: You mean releasing the voice of the author?
1: You tell me. Like mm-hmm. I feel like you have got such a great way of, well, so you say, I believe you. and I actually have read your, like, I'm, I'm halfway through your book. I wish I was all the way through. Um, but that there must be a way that that sort of way of the ability to take on a voice, to to unleash a voice, to express something in a way that's truer to the character DNA. Like how does that stuff work its way through this sort of nonfiction book? Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you've got to check out the great work community. The great work community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together. Come on over for a co-working accountability coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out the Great Work community. The link is in the show notes.
0: Well, I think, I think it, it does in a couple of ways. You know, it depends on the person. I, you know, and when I work with somebody, I work with people one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's just like one-on-one. And you read, when I read a manuscript, I can obviously sense the undertones and mm-hmm. sense a bit about their personality.
2: Mm-hmm. And when
0: I speak with them, I can sense more about their personality a lot of my clients are repeat clients so they come back again and oh again gosh. and by then I you know but by then I know them and I try to invite as we say in California Californians mm-hmm. say I try to invite people to um share more of their true self and their true voice uh, mm-hmm. like this example of this guy who's really funny Mm-hmm. New York Times bestselling author. And I'm like, you know, let your comedic flag fly. Like that is such an asset. And he's also a wonderful keynote speaker. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I know you. I've and also I've known him for 26 years, or and I think it's now more than that. But um it's like I know how much comedy. <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. like, you're funny. Like let's bring more of that out? Like, And what do you think about it? Because it's not my job to tell you what to do necessarily, but I'm like, here's what I do. I think it's wonderful. And it comes across beautifully in the book. So that's, that's like one example. Sometimes it's also, you know, how about adding a personal story about why is this book mm-hmm. important to you? And first that comes out, I had another client I, I did that with, and we, we did some, um, to working together time and bakeries in Scottsdale and pastry shops and having like beautiful teas and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I just having those having like a real one-on-one conversation with me and me asking the question that I know a reader would want to know. You know, mm-hmm. why is this important to you? Why is this so important to you? Where do you find yourself in this book? Why do you why do you have to do it? Like this is a ton of work.
2: Mm. Why
0: why and mm-hmm. usually you know and I as you'll get as you'll get through later in my book there's a thing that I do call the six circles of why mm. we often did to get deeper into the story and actually do like a, a story audit or analysis to make sure like why is the character doing this, mm-hmm. especially in fiction, especially if you're completely making it up or and even if you're not sometimes because sometimes you don't realize the motivation. But, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then you just keep asking, and why is that? And why Mm -hmm. is that? And why is that? And you get to, you know, this pure, this place of pure heart. So many of this, this has happened a few times with clients where just their pure heart just shines through. And it's like, would you please consider sharing that story in the beginning? Because that sets a tone of why you're here. And it's so... Deep and poignant, and sometimes simple, sometimes more complex. Usually very personal. Usually mm. there's tears involved when they're mm. when they're telling me. But that's when you. That's I mean I'm not I'm not like one of those uh, interviewers that tries to make people cry. But <laughs> it's a sign that there's a deep emotion and deep connection for that author that writer to that material and same mm. thing for for any for a talk or a screenplay or what, whatever it is so that's part of how I bring out the, the character DNA is giving an author that space to tell their story even if it's just to me mm. even if it's just to me mm-hmm. and then in the books that are more prescriptive narrative or prescriptive non-fiction um looking at the characters within the mini story within the examples of the stories Mm -hmm. and how they're explaining those characters are you using the character dna do you need to like it's not always necessary so i I don't ever like it to be um uh forced of course but it's a good question to ask what mm-hmm. is the character strength? What is their weakness? What is their superpower? What is, what is the defining characteristic? What do we need to know about them? Even if it's just a little hundred word metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, you can add a lot by the right description.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Especially if it's in like honest to the character, you can tell that as a reader. You can tell like, oh, this, you know, this adds richness. This adds authenticity, depth, even just to like a case study or something. I can see how that would definitely.
0: Exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then, you know, you multiply that times the, say, 50 or 100 stories you have in a book and then Mm -hmm. think of how much more rich and Mm -hmm. how much more able your reader has the opportunity to get, you know, understand these people and and imagine who these characters are in their life oh that's my gardener oh that's mm. my employee oh that's my husband or my son or my whoever
1: yeah or that's me when i was feeling that way yes. and that's me when i was feeling this way and wow I, i'm resonating all over the place here if it's honest yeah hmm. fascinating so your six circles of why is a great segue to you know back to you when you know like why why are you doing this? Like, why are you writing screenplays? Why are you book doctoring? What's the joy here for you? Like, what is it allowing you to become or do? I
0: think it's like the technical term for it for me is <laughs> the joy for me is achieving narrative transport, which more more simply said is the joy for me is seeing a reader or an author achieve that place where the viewer or reader can step into the shoes mm. of the person in the story and all else falls away. Mm. That's, that's what narrative transport is. And so it's crafting the narrative and the character in such a way that a reader or viewer can do it. So it's Again, then that's that's mixing the art and science part, which I love. You can picture me over here with like some nerdy glasses and a yep. white lab yep. coat. But getting that right <laughs> mixture of character, goal, obstacles. You know, what are we achieving there? And then helping people, whether they're my own readers or whether they're an author client, get that aha moment in their own work mm-hmm. or in mine to to help them in another place. And like a, a great example of that happened recently, a reader wrote to me and said um, to say that she thinks of my story every day when she has to get up the courage to give herself medical shots. Mm. And so she's gotten to this point in her life where she has to give herself self shots every day. She hates it. It's scary. She doesn't want to do it, but she has needs to do it, and also wants to do it because she needs to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, the idea—my book has nothing to do with. Well, I guess it, in a way, medical, maybe uh, panic attacks. Um, But my jumping in waterfalls—I tell the story of.
1: (laughs) Yeah, why don't you back up and tell us that story so we can. Sure,
0: sure. So in my book, The Hollywood Approach, which came out last year, um, the subtitle is Script Your Life Like a Hit Movie and Live Your Wildest Dream. So I Mm. walk readers through exercises and chapters about how to analyze your own life, where you're at, what you want, and how to map out where you want to go in a very step-by-step fun exercises, you know, using all kinds of movie characters as examples and what they did great and what they did not so great, like in their movie stories, real life and fictional characters. Mm -hmm. And I also include my story of uh, when I came to the Dominican Republic nine years ago, uh, I was having debilitating panic attacks in the water. uh, Mm. And they went from me being a rescue swimmer and leading a rescue of two boys in a riptide Mm. to I can't put my foot in the water without freaking out. And basically feeling like I'm having a heart attack for a couple of hours. Mm. Uh, And so just fast forwarding after that fateful panic attack, I found this place in the Dominican Republic called 27 Waterfalls. And what you do is you hike up for two hours and the only way back down is uh, air evacuation or (laughs) jumping into all of the falls. Wow. And and I was ready at that point. I had been dealing with panic attacks for 10 years in the Mm -hmm. water and I was ready to what I felt was risk cardiac arrest or make these jumps. I was ready to Mm -hmm. do something really dramatic and it wasn't scary until I started doing the jumps and had six panic attacks in the first six jumps
2: Mm-hmm. and
0: so it was so part of the book uh chronicles how I go through that and how you can use this approach to you know really figure out what you're doing why you're doing it you know again why I had asked myself why a million times I was very clear on my why um and so that's kind of the gist of of my story with with uh the waterfalls mm-hmm. uh, and, and making the jump. So I talk about that experience and where I, where I got caught up on one of the falls and then what I did next. Mm. So when this reader wrote to me and just said, I, I think of you at the waterfalls and at the seventh waterfall, when I have to do my shots and mm. you know, thinking about how you didn't want to do it, but you did, but you did. Right. <laughs> and so, and that's an example of a, a chief, in my mind, achieving narrative transport with that
2: person.
0: Mm. Um, and I, I talk about in the book too, like how we all have mentors and sometimes our mentors are just a story like this, that you've mm. not met the person. I, I talk about one of my mentors is one of my clients, mothers who, mm. um, did this amazing thing with swimming and a swim, a swim-a-thon to help someone else in need. Never met her mother, her mother has since passed but the idea that she, she had to be so brave to do this thing, I thought of her when I was, she did this thing at the pool. And so I would think of her as I was later in my recovery doing laps. Mm. But going, again, going back to the reader and even that story too, it's like creating the narrative transport. This reader was able to step into my shoes on the waterfalls, mm-hmm. see herself in that story, see the parallel she needed the example she needs and currently needs to get through these shots every day. And I just, I can't, it's always wonderful to hear from readers when they've taken an action, they've made a decision, they've taken a leap of some kind. (laughs) A lot of them write Mm -hmm. to me and say, I'm not jumping in the waterfalls. And I'm like, dude, I'm not jumping in the waterfalls (laughs) anymore. (laughs) I'm like, this is not a renewable licensing, but the idea is that we can, find the heroine or hero or courage within ourselves to do the thing that's going to change our life.
1: Hmm. So that's interesting. So achieving narrative transport on the one hand is like in the moment when you're reading it and you really feel like you get caught up in it or you're watching it or whatever it is, right? You get caught up, you get carried away, you forget yourself, self drops away or whatever, and you experience something as though it's happening to you. On the other hand, it sounds like there's a little bit of like narrative transport. That's a little bit like, let my story loan you some belief so that you can be carried a little further in your story and maybe do something different, which sort of is another sort of thread between the idea of like, you know, what are you, how are you bringing these sort of film studies or structure character or all that into narrative nonfiction? It feels like actually there's something really interesting there about like, how do we create experiences in narrative nonfiction books that they can actually have the same sort of transported feeling, like experiencing what it's like without having to experience it for themselves and benefit from it, which is very interesting.
0: It is. It's very fascinating when you talk about that. Absolutely. Hmm.
1: So one of the questions, I mean, either for yourself or for the clients that you work with, like what are, you know, doing this sounds like great work for sure. You know, it's really about finding your story, putting it out there, doing it in collaboration with others, leaving a legacy behind you. And I've never met anybody with a history of great work, especially a sustained history of doing great work who hasn't had quite a lot of struggles and things to overcome and like self-doubt and, you know, dark nights of the soul or whatever. And I'm curious like what either like what experiences have you had that you've had to overcome in order to be able to do this? Or what sort of experiences do your clients tend to have that you help them through or both?
0: Well, I think the universal one for myself and my clients is mm. the uncertainty and the self-doubt. Mm. Um, my sister wrote a book a, called The Creatives Guide and she calls, she's a chapter on fear and uncertainty, the FU of creative work or something like that. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um and and she talks about how as creative people, we, you know, there's definitely because you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur, there's nobody telling you what to do, you're making up Mm. your own path the whole time. You know, you're just like, what am I supposed to do next? You you can easily, it's easy to get paralyzed and stuck on like, I don't know what to do. And and so also so simple, just as easy to to flip it if you can talk to somebody or know work with your creative group or your writers group or whatever it is that you have and, and be like I can't decide on my next step or you know mm. we're usually doing too much you know oftentimes I should I would say we're doing too much or we don't know how to break it down or we haven't you know there is not a lot there are not a lot of schools that teach long-form narratives so mm. I think a lot of people make the mistake of well I know my ABCs and I wrote a lot of essays in college and I you know even for me I was a journalist and I Wrote a bunch of marketing stuff and this and you know, I, I wrote all these research papers. Well, for sure I can write a screenplay. That is not how it works, everybody. Mm. <laughs> that is not how it works, because if you think about it, those things, are usually twenty five hundred words to five thousand words. Maybe you've written something professionally, like if you're any kind of writing professional other than an author, or screenwriter, maybe ten thousand words. Mm. Um, a book, the average book is 60 to 80,000 that a screenplay is around maybe 20, 25,000, but it's like, you've got to write really long and then shrink it back. And there's all this, this work to it. And so, um, when people think it's a obvious thing they should be able to do and should, you know, people are shooting themselves. So there's fear, there's uncertainty, there's Mm shooting, there's, um, And then there's just like, oh yeah, I just think I should automatically know how to do this and what, like I'm, I'm weak or I'm somehow less than somebody else. If I need a a writing coach, like Mm -hmm. I was in fifth grade. Why do I do that? I was in fifth grade. It's like, no, it's like my friends look at your, look at the acknowledgments of every, any book or like the end of a movie. And you're just like, oh my God, there's, you know, there's a whole team of of all these people. So I think that's one thing um, that we all tend to struggle with. I think another thing, you know, is that that's just like the um, that's like within the craft of it, the fear, uncertainty and that. But then I think a bigger picture is what to do with it.
2: Mm.
0: What to do, like for me, you know, being, uh, you know, bringing Hollywood judge or in before that um, editing, developmental editing before I knew what that was like what do I do with that you know there are jobs for you know I can be a reporter I can be Mm. a journalist I can be a talk show host I can be an advertising director Mm -hmm. I can be a marketing director I can be a copywriter like it's so very not what I wanted to do (laughs) and not being aware of the the, you know, jobs or making my own path that way or how to do that. I think you really mm-hmm. have to stay curious. Hmm. You have to stay curious and, and be seeking. You have to be seeking the thing that you, that you want to do hmm. because you won't, otherwise you won't know what to do with, you, you may not know what to do with it, whatever your great work is.
1: How do you, okay. So give us an example of like you know, no, nobody. There was no job description of we need somebody to bring the Hollywood judge to <laughs> narrative nonfiction. So, how you know? Okay, be curious, be on the lookout, seize opportunities. I guess, but like, what's an example of an opportunity that you seized, or like a wait, like a a windy path that somehow worked? Like, tell us how to do that because I do think you're absolutely right that so many people doing great work. It's so personal. It's so specific. You really it's calling you from the inside, you know, it exists because it's inside of you, but there's no mirror for it anywhere. Like, how do you navigate that? How did you navigate that? Well,
0: I navigated it by jumping around to different jobs in the, until I was 40. And I don't mean like overly jumping, but I was at places two to four years. So first I was Mm -hmm. the director of advertising. Then I was a, a director of marketing. Then I was another director of marketing And in the first director of marketing is when I started screenwriting Mm. and people, I mean, and that was, that was in the late nineties. So it was fax machines. That was like when, um, Ben Affleck and, um,
1: Matt Damon, thank you very much.
0: Oh my God. You're (laughs) so great at this game. (laughs) We're like faxing each other, like versions of goodwill hunting. Like that's how it was being done um so back in that time it, but it was a time of very being like very purist at your job and people were mm-hmm. like don't tell anybody you're you know it's like tell everybody that you're in the advertising club that the American Advertising Federation don't tell people you're writing films because um that was less so in my first company but people got wind of it and then they're like "Ooh, we're doing this event like and they they wanted it like and so but that was just like one project mm. one project they're like we're doing this event. Do you think you could, I forgot what they asked me to do. They asked me to do something. And I'm like, no, we need to do an open. I'm like, here's what we need to do. We need Mm -hmm. to do an opening video and I'm going to splice it to whatever, lust for life. And they, they had some things they wanted and I'm like, just leave it with me. I'm going to make it cool. And it's going to be, people are going to be dancing at the beginning of the thing and what it's going to be awesome. Mm
2: -hmm. So like,
0: that was an example. And then we did that event in the U S and then the European team had me come over and, replicate that event in london That that was like one project Mm -hmm. like at a time that companies were merging and consolidating doing all these crazy things Mm -hmm. the next place wasn't so much for hollywood judge Mm -hmm. and then the last corporate job i had (laughs) i came in as a director of marketing and it was like a newly created position like a hybrid of other stuff and i think um They also were very much like, you can write, you can have writing a screenplay on your smart goals or, you know, for the company, like for for a personal smart goal, but maybe don't go around telling people that Mm -hmm. that stuff. And it's like, okay, people. But also by then, like I was on my track to be the senior VP and I had my own department. And so it was basically like a great big laboratory for me of Mm. where can I, you know, where can I stick in the Hollywood judge? And so we had client entertainment, we had like, um, conferences and these by the way are like real estate finance conferences, like a mosh pit (laughs) of like 98% white men in black suits. And you're like, what are you doing? I would have to listen to like Xanadu um from olivia newton john just to like walk through the lobby of these places but it was a challenge for me because it's like yeah. okay but, like we want you know we want to be we want to have the party that's the most talked about party okay that's fine um but other things like gifting program like we mm. had a christmas and birthday gifting program for clients like just you know i just would put on the creative hat and i got to run the show Cause it was mm. like, you know, it was like a company of one We had one fifty on our U S team and I, I got to work directly with the CEO. And I think he just was like, I, I, he didn't have time. Number one, he's like a world-class negotiator. I know he's like, I, like, I love, he's like, are, our clients talking about us? Yes. Yeah. Like, that was his metric. And so it was like, okay, great. Like, so now, you know, I would just do kind of some, crazy things. You got, you
1: just got so like lit up when you were telling that story. It just seems like you're so delightful. I feel like, you know, your your sort of essence is like delight. And so there you are just like shining the delight light all over town and now helping other people shine their delight lights into their books. And
0: Thank you so much. That's that's so kind. And I think, you know, but there was a dichotomy there. So I don't wanna like I don't wanna like be blowing sunshine and roses too sure. uh, too much. Like there was a dichotomy there because, yeah. you know, um, for me, like the uniform, the wearing the suits for me was yeah. it was too much and like working yeah. the cube. Oh my God, I hate it. You know, I had like this treehouse loft that I bought in Chicago and I'm just like I can't work in this ugly. Yeah. Six by six cube. Like how, what, blah. So there were, you know, and I'm not saying like, Oh, that was the biggest problem I had because there were some cultural problems and there were some things. And I just really like, I'm a person like, give me just a big stack of your manuscripts or the project and, mm-hmm. and let me, let me sit here and play. And then let me meet with small groups of people or one person, one-on-one, when it's time to present something or I have a you know question or a breakthrough or need an approval or something like that. So you know ultimately, it was a wonderful experience and I'm super grateful for it. But I think that's important to know, too, when people are struggling with their great work of like, God, if you can find the 100% pure awesomeness of a situation, that's great if you can look at the lens of what you're gaining through one of those, like I did in treating it, treating it my, like my lab, nobody, nobody else would say that, that I can think of, you know, my laboratory, I got to experiment and yeah. like do things that I thought would be fun.
1: And and the way I got to do it. Mm-hmm. Do well, that's um, what I think is, is interesting. Is like, because a lot of people, like you said, who are struggling there, there are a lot of people in jobs that are like Lackluster, right? They're not terrible. Maybe they have some golden handcuffs, like, oh, I finally got this job. I'm finally a lawyer, you know? Yeah. I gotta leave it. I
0: want my new Um, kitchen. I want my new swimming pool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. As soon as, right, like, once we're through the divorce, like, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, people, I mean, life is like that, right? Like, we don't get to very often. I mean, of course, we could do it more, and maybe that's somebody else's message, but I think it's a really interesting and important message to say that you can change so much about your experience of your life and do so much more great work, even if nothing external changes. And that's what I liked about your story so much. It was like, yes, I was working for the, you know, least innovative, you know, cubicle nation, maybe, (laughs) you know, like a bunch of traditionalists. And clearly this was not my tribe. And if you're on the lookout for the opportunities, if you see it, you can seize it. You can be who you are. You can do more of what you want in like little ways. And then of course you should leave if you're really unhappy, but you don't have to leave in order to be happier. And Right.
0: I think that's super true. And I think too, in the context of, of, the Hollywood approach and, and Mm -hmm. story and storytelling, it's about the story you're living. So what story are you telling yourself about your Mm -hmm. experience? What is -hmm. your goal? So like if you're miserable, and I'm just putting myself back into these my like my last three jobs, if you're miserable, you're having a really rough time. Mm -hmm. And you identify a goal for being there, whether it is stock option vesting, achieving that title level and you can Mm. leave right after you get it or a certain amount of annex miles. Like think of, I mean, and I'm not saying those are the only things that is like, those are like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those are right. Those are like the bonus things, but, but also like it is, it's time to assess like, why are you there? What are you getting out of it? What can you get out of it? What could you possibly otherwise get out of it? I mean, and Mm -hmm. I will say this company couple only a couple years ago called me back and said hey can you step back in the PR PR portion of your job for three months we have we have a gap and Mm -hmm. I'm like oh sure yeah I haven't talked to any of these reporters or people for like 10 years are they (laughs) sure whatever you need you know I was like sure I had like I had the bandwidth and could do it and so for me another part of my thing was having this corporate infrastructure that I could always go mm-hmm. back to if I needed to. Number one, number two, like, come on, my clients were four seasons, yeah. um, awesome. hotels like Ritz Carlton, you know, so I am always happy to take a project with, mm-hmm. with any right. of those, you know, so I get yeah. to look at pretty things and go to pretty places. And, yeah. um, so anyway, the point though is, is not just what I can do. It's what can, what can your, what can you do? What can, our, what can your people listening to this do? Mm-hmm. Uh, within their infrastructure, what can they gain out of it? What mm-hmm. can they challenge themselves to do? Is it even just go another six months, save money so that you can make a comfortable move? You know, is mm-hmm. it your plan to make a make a plan? Um, mm-hmm. Raise your hand for something you'd like to do more of. Is it? I don't know. I don't. I can, yeah. I can keep. Yeah, throwing out ideas. Right. From home, but, but yeah. I. Yeah,
1: and what in? I think you're like what you uh, when. You originally were were talking about like you, you wind your way towards it, whatever it is with this undefined path, right? Like this thing in your heart that's calling you and you just sort of get a little closer and get a little closer and you can do that kind of no matter where you are, no matter what else is happening. And it really opens your eyes to, if you really know where you're going and you're really trying to wind your way there and it's blocked at every turn, that's information too, I like, I can't get any closer here. And now I got to really face the reality that I either am giving up on that part of my great work or I'm going to make a bigger step. And those, you know, like anything that gives you a way to really see those kinds of truths that we're so afraid to see is a good thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really like the way you said that too. It's information. And Mm. I think, you know, when we look at it as information, we can take some of the emotion, the emotional sting out of something. We can take, uh or the emotional charge we can take mm-hmm. a little bit of judgment out of it mm-hmm. and just be like hmm, it's and try to look at at the data mm-hmm. and, and line it up I'm a big fan of that and I personally find that very soothing I think it's the nerdy part of me again like I find it very soothing to do sometimes even mathematical tables about what decision am I making about you know a certain mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. this or that it can be it can be soothing
1: yeah Right. Absolutely. Right. It gives you a little bit of objectivity, a little bit of like, you know, let me have a thought about this, that it could go either way and no one's going to be mad, not including me. Yeah. Really, really helpful. Well, I want to hear, I want you to have a minute here to say how people can work with you. Cause I'll be honest, like I'm in the middle of just now starting a project, um, writing a graphic novel and I'm like, hmm. hmm, maybe this, maybe I will work with you. So tell all of us, including me, what, how do we find out more about you? What's it like to work with you? Where can we reach out to you? How can we get to know you more? Give us the info.
0: You got it. Um, so I work only privately and one-on-one with clients and mm-hmm. I take about 10 10- clients Mm. here. I do currently have slots and you can find me on all the socials and all the channels at Christina Pater. I'm on, I'm most active on, I would say most active still on Facebook, but trying Mm. to move over to uh, more on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok.
2: And if you're really
0: excited, you can send me an email, kp at Christina Pater.com.
1: Love it. And we'll put all your handles for all of your socials in the show notes as well, as well as a link to your website and apologies for not saying this first, a link to your fabulous book, The Hollywood Method, so that people could actually, I feel like I know you at least a little bit just from reading your book. You're so like open and honest in your characters. They sparkle. So it's a great read. And I'll thank put a link to that so as much. well. Thank you. You're very welcome. I just really want to thank you for taking time to talk to us. It was very, very interesting. And I'm sure that lots of people will be buying your book and learning more about you. And we're just so grateful for your time.
0: Pleasure is mine. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening today to unleashing your great work. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and make sure you check out my book, Great Work, Do What Matters Most Without Sacrificing Everything Else. It's available everywhere you get books. See you next time on Unleashing Your Great Work.